Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show. This is show number 27. I attended the NetExpo Forum 2012 on the 15th and 16th of March at the marvelous UNESCO headquarters in Paris. NetExpo is an observatory of new tech trends around the world with which I've been associated for the last couple of years. There were 10 award winners highlighted at the event, each coming from the four corners of the world and each with a truly interesting angle. In the fifth and the last of this series in the Minter Dialogue show, I caught up with Brian Platts, COO and co-founder of Silk Road Point. Silk Road Point is a cloud-based system providing social talent management software and solutions for human resources. Among its many facets, it will help HR calculate an unnet employee's level of influence in social media circles. It's a most fascinating concept based on a sound principle that employees work better when they are better appreciated and understood. Let's cut to the interview. Hello, this is Minter Dial, and I'm at NetExplo Forum 2012. It's getting towards the end of the second day, so we're, we're doing well. I have the pleasure to have with me one of the NetExplo Forum uh, award winners, Brian Platts, who's the COO of Silk Road Point. Now, Brian, first of all, congratulations, welcome, and can you tell us a little bit more about Silk Road Point? Silk Road Point is a new tool that's designed around the idea of maximizing talent for knowledge workers. And, and sort of the premise is that traditional performance development and enhancement processes uh, don't maximize performance for knowledge workers. They maximize performance more for sort of traditional algorithmic style work, more sort of blue collar type of tasks. Mm-hmm. With, with less uh, intelligence needed into it. So when, when, I, when I listened to your presentation, what I really liked is this notion of, of really I see working with the human intelligence, really with the human nature. Can you explain a little bit more, develop again what you, uh, what you mean behind that? Yeah, so when you start to explore why some of these concepts don't work, you start to understand that some of the concepts were sort of based in a philosophy that people fundamentally don't like to work. So therefore, you have to pay them a lot of money to encourage them to work. And that doesn't have to be the world. And, and actually, more often than not, today, it's not the world we, we live in. Mm-hmm. All right, so you, you had, there were three things that you were driving. One of them was autonomy. The second, I'm going to have to go back to my notes. So it was mastery, and the third was purpose. Can you just uh, explain a little bit more about that and how that drives this motivation you're talking about? Yeah, so these three concepts, it turns out, for creative thinkers, for knowledge workers, is what has the potential to actually maximize performance out of those individuals. Autonomy is more the notion of having sort of the freedom to perform your work in the way you want to perform perform it with the people you want to perform it with. Mastery is sort of this uh, kind of basic human characteristic we have where we get pleasure out of getting better at something. And part of the problem is as soon as you attach dollars and try and incent with dollars to force someone to get better uh, at something, then it actually sort of takes away that basic human desire. It all of a sudden turns it into work. And purpose is the notion of just believing in what you're doing. And it's when those three things come together for a creative knowledge worker that you actually have the ingredients that maximize performance. What a lot of people try and do through traditional performance reviews However, they don't work for this style of creative thinking. Yeah, I mean, when I, listening to it, I mean, on the one hand, it makes me think of, you know, this quote-unquote Gen Y with the millennials, with how they, they're really looking for a different type of experience where they want to be learning every day mm-hmm. and, um, and they want to have a mission and a purpose that really drives them. And then the first point, though, that makes me think, well, just be treat me like an adult instead of being a sort of 
an ubermaster looking over everything I'm doing, just like give me my freedom to be who I am and allow me to explore. I, I think that's really neat. All right, so um, Silk Point Road is a, uh, you won the award from NetExplo. You've been uh, in Paris for a couple of days. Uh, can you tell us um, what your experience wa- has been with NetExplo, this forum, versus the other forums in, or events you typically go to? How do you feel it's different or the same? Yeah, well, this is a very interesting event in that it uh, recognizes new innovations uh, that are dealing with technology aspects. So it's exciting in that it's more of a almost startup type of approach towards some of these um, technologies. And the only thing that I've been to that has some semblance of comparison of it to me is the uh, now pretty famous demo conference where people come and highlight innovations for five minutes. In this case, there's 10 award winners. They're selected. You know, you can't apply, or at least it doesn't appear as you can apply for this. You just get selected by scouts. And um, you have more than five minutes to describe your idea, but it's still sort of very similar in that it's highlighting sort of the next wave of thinking Mm -hmm. uh, around technology, and, and that makes it quite exciting. That's cool. All right, so um, uh, with Silk Road Point, you are based in the States, in Chicago, right? Is that it? You're, uh, you're, that's right. That's right. And uh, you have someone now based in Paris, uh, rolling out Europe. Can you say, from your experience, how different it is to implement a Silk Road Point in a European-based culture versus a North American one? How would you describe that? Well, I, you know, in any culture... There's people who agree with this fundamental philosophy and are ready to adapt it, and people who don't. You know, it's our theory that if your primary business, which most businesses are like this today, of requiring creativity and knowledge workers, you're going to be in a situation where you have to adopt a different philosophy. So I think it's less about sort of countries and cultures and more about do you buy in that you require a, a, a new way. Now, Part of the question could be answered, do we think there's more companies who don't buy into this concept in Europe versus North America? And I'm not sure I can completely answer that. I think, uh, you know, we get very similar reactions everywhere we go. Sometimes the ideas are controversial. Sometimes the ideas are greatly embraced. Uh, But uh, there is a mixture in all cultures, and I think it has to do more with sort of the philosophy of the company than probably the specific location of the company. Mm, Totally get that. One of the things that, obviously, as you mentioned in your speeches, the most, um, how do you say, uh, controversial was this notion of, of measuring someone's uh, influence. Mm. And so can you explain how that is and maybe uh, take a point of reference to clout and see how you are different to a clout or how does it match up with that? Mm. Well, the idea is a cloud, of course, we embrace because it is trying to do some similar things. In the case of clout, you know, they're more uh, focused on measuring sort of your social influence as a whole. Uh, what we're measuring is is really distinctly different than that, although, you know, it can be characterized that we're, we're measuring influence. Um, uh, so that part's common. But we're actually looking and identifying specific skills that individual has. And we're measuring influence by skills, not sort of for the person as a whole. And we're looking at a whole different set of information. We're working, looking at work information. We're looking at content they're contributing. We're looking at questions they're answering, who's connecting to them, and not just the fact that they're being connected to, but why 
are they being connected to? What information is being leveraged? And as a talent management provider, we house a tremendous amount of information about employees. You know, it's really leveraging some of these ideas of sort of big data. What we're doing is we're just taking all this information we already have, we're encouraging contribution and sort of social interactions in a new way, and we're using all this information, I think, in a very intelligent way to, to infer influence around skills. So I'm assuming your client is going to be typically the human resources department as opposed to the CEO? Uh, You know, it it varies. I'd say human resources, as it relates to talent management as a whole, tends to be the primary evaluator. They're not always the person sort of writing the check, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it is the CEO. It depends a lot on the size of company. You know, we're starting to break into, though, new categories here. This isn't your traditional HR processes. Uh, We've come a long way in automating those traditional HR processes. And we have products that do that. And in many ways, we're saying some of those products actually fundamentally go against Mm. what they're trying to accomplish. And we're almost trying to put our own products out of business with some of these new ideas. But we think these new ideas need to be embraced. And we're finding these new ideas are being embraced by all types of individuals and companies, including the C-level, because We've gone outside the realm of normal HR processes that HR is trained to deal with. So we're gathering the interest now of a much broader group. So when you're in front of your head of human resources or the CEO accordingly, what is the one thing they better avoid if you want this product to work? Or what is the best thing they really need to do as best practice in order to make it succeed? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of... uh, a lot of change in companies has to be embraced from the top. And uh, I think there's a lot of evidence out there that demonstrates that when that that change isn't embraced for the top, it can't be successful. So I think that's the biggest you know item. I think that the C-level executives have to buy into these concepts. And, you know, it's wonderful you walk into certain companies today, and it's not only that they're buying into it, it's like they've come to some revelation that there's finally something out there that sort of has these ideas that have been percolating in their head. Yeah, or they've been thinking about this stuff for a while, but then someone actually walks in and talks about Mm -hmm. it, and they get really excited. And, of course, you walk into some of the more traditional businesses as well that see this as something completely foreign that Mm -hmm. they've never, ever seen before. And, you know, the C-level needs to embrace these concepts. Ultimately, I think if the product's going to be successful, there is potentially room or opportunity for a ground-up kind of embracing of mm-hmm. tools like this. So, you know, we're looking forward to seeing some of that. But, but yeah, I think they just need to embrace the idea. Got it. Right. So, uh, Brian, what is the, uh, what are the future, what's the future hold for you? Silk Road Point. The future. So, you know, Silk Road Point's a new product, and it's really, uh, I think, exciting to start to take this information and create meaning out of it. It's, it's never been done before. And so we think there's a lot to learn. You know, there's, there's uh, going to be a lot of tweaking and looking at different characteristics and how they determine what the employee is doing, and et cetera. Um, so that's going to take us, you know, quite a bit of time to work on. And we're really continuing to push forward on this idea of focusing in on the employee, creating engagement, solving their problems, ultimately thinking that that's the solution to solve all of these sort of back office issues that companies typically struggle with. And seek solutions to help them solve. We're just coming at it from a different angle, and there's a lot more work there to do. Beautiful. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being here. Congratulations again. Look forward to following you, putting uh, engagement and uh, really getting back, uh, giving some autonomy back to the worker. It's a great, uh, great reason. Thanks a lot. Thanks.
Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.